from CJBT Productions, the team that brings you the Music Halls of Fame podcast, comes the Music History Today daily podcast, where we bring you a quick daily briefing of the musical events, births, and passings that happened on that particular day. So, if you love music and history, then please like, subscribe, and share the Music History Today daily podcast out every day on Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, Google, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast from. The following is a CJBT Productions podcast. This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast, episode 31. This week, we honor the year 1986, along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 1986. We also look at the case for putting Motorhead into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And our museum this week is the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. This podcast celebrates those who have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We'll also look at the case for certain artists to be inducted into the hall who aren't there yet. Plus, every week we'll discuss a different musical Hall of Fame, Walk of Fame, or Museum and celebrate someone who's been inducted into them. Let's start with our main focus of the podcast, which is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Hall Foundation was established on April 20th, 1983. Former Atlantic Records chairman Ahmet Erdogan was the head of the foundation at the time. Three years later, a committee chose Cleveland, Ohio to be the site of the physical location for the museum over Detroit, Michigan, New York City, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Memphis, Tennessee, and Cincinnati, Ohio. I say physical location because members have actually been inducted into the hall since 1986 before the building was even opened. Cleveland was chosen because of what DJ Alan Freed did to promote rock and roll, including mainstreaming the phrase rock and roll, which was originally black slang for sex, and for also holding the first rock and roll concert. Ground was broken for the building on June 7, 1993. It opened on September 1, 1995 at 1100 Rock and Roll Boulevard on the shore of Lake Erie. The hall gets over 400,000 visitors a year on average. Normal hours of operation are between 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. except for Thursdays when they're open until 9 p.m. They are normally open later in the summer months. General admission at the moment is $30. Children 6 through 12 are $20. College students, first responders, military members, and Northeast Ohio residents are $25. And kids 5 and under Hall of Fame members and Cleveland residents are free. ID is required to get the discounts. Rockhall.com is their website. That's R-O-C-K-H-A-L-L dot C-O-M. And as with all places these days due to COVID restrictions, check with the website for updated information and hours. The year was 1986. 
The yearly inflation rate in America was at 1.91%. The Dow Jones Industrial Average finished the year at 1,895. The Federal Reserve's interest rates were at 7.50%. Average cost of a new house was $89,430. Average income for the year was $22,400. Monthly rent on average was $385. Price of a new car would set you back on average $9,255, and a gallon of gas to power that car only cost 89 cents. Ronald Reagan was president of the United States at that point, and in the middle of his second term, the space shuttle Challenger exploded shortly after takeoff, killing all the astronauts on board. The Chernobyl nuclear disaster took place at a nuclear plant in the Ukrainian city, killing over 4,000 people and releasing radioactive fallout. The Hands Across America charity event took place to help raise money to help fight hunger. That was when 5 million people stood hand in hand and sang the song Hands Across America. The Statue of Liberty reopened to the general public after going through a renovation. The Voyager airplane became the first plane to circle the globe without refueling. Halley's Comet passed by Earth and won't be seen again until 2061. Some of you will be around to see that. The Soviet Mir space station launched. It burned up in the atmosphere in 2001. Sir Richard Branson took his powerboat, the Virgin Challenger II, across the Atlantic Ocean, breaking the record for the fastest crossing of the Atlantic in a boat. The disease of that year was mad cow disease, which killed an awful lot of cows, actually. Smoke was banned on public transportation, at least smoking was. Gas from a volcano in Cameroon, West Africa, killed over 1,500 people. Pan Am Flight 73 was hijacked in Karachi. A bomb exploded in a TWA plane over Greece. An earthquake in San Salvador, El Salvador, killed over 1,500 people. And a newspaper in England revealed that Israel had nuclear weapons. Famous people who were born in 1986 include Olympic champion Usain Bolt, tennis star Rafael Nadal, actresses Megan Fox, Amanda Burns, Amber Heard, and Amelia Clark, wrestlers Seth Rollins and Charlotte Flair, and models Ruby Rose and Arita Shank. Famous people who passed away in 1986 include mountain climber Tengze Norgray, actors Cary Grant, Donna Reed, and James Cagney, civil rights leader Ella Baker, basketball player Len Bias, artist Georgia O'Keeffe, the Duchess of Windsor and wife of King Edward VIII, Wallace Simpson, Sweden's Prime Minister Olaf Palm, who was murdered, baseball player Hank Greenberg, lawyer Roy Cohn, and the aforementioned seven astronauts on board the Challenger space shuttle, including teacher Christy McAuliffe. The Nobel Peace Prize went to the chairman of the President's Commission on the Holocaust, Eli Wiesel. Philippines President Corazon Aquino was named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. And actor Mark Harmon was named People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive. In technology, a new company called Microsoft started selling stock shares. 
The first laptop, the IBM PC Convertible, was introduced. The first PC virus, called Brain, started spreading. The Hacker Manifesto was published. Fuji introduced the first disposable camera. Apple introduced the Mac Plus. JVC and Vintech companies were also founded in 1986. In video games, the first Legend of Zelda, Castlevania, and Metroid games were huge. Also, Acclaim, Ubisoft, and Bethesda Softworks companies all started up that year. In books, Mary Wilson of the Supremes released her autobiography called Dream Girl, My Life as a Supreme. Stephen King released his classic horror novel, It. Tom Clancy released Red Storm Rising. Robert Ludlum released the book The Born Supremacy. Pat Conroy released The Prince of Tides. Dark Horse Comics was founded in 1986. Frank Miller released the genre game-changing graphic novel Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Alan Moore released Watchmen. Winston Groom released Forrest Gump. Clive Barker released The Hellbound Heart. Anthony Robbins released Unlimited Power... The New Science of Personal Achievement. In football, the New York Giants won the Super Bowl, which was held in 1987 for the 1986 season at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. Neil Diamond sang the national anthem, and the halftime show was a salute to Hollywood's 100th anniversary with George Burns, Mickey Rooney, the Grambling State University and USC marching bands, a bunch of Disneyland characters, and some Southern California high school drill teams and dancers thrown in just for good measure. Thankfully, halftime shows got a little bit better. Penn State won the NCAA College Football Championship. The New York Mets won Baseball's World Series after Bill Buckner of the Red Sox famously let the ball go between his legs into the outfield, letting the Mets score the winning run in Game 6 when the Sox were only one out away from winning their first World Series championship since 1918. The Mets ended up winning Game 7 and the championship. The Boston Celtics won the NBA championship, so at least the city of Boston won something that year. Louisville won the NCAA Men's College Basketball Tournament, Texas won the NCAA Women's College Basketball Tournament, and the Montreal Canadiens won Hockey Stanley Cup. American Greg LeMond won the Tour de France. Ferdinand won the Kentucky Derby but couldn't pull off the Triple Crown, losing the Preakness to Snow Chief and the Belmont Stakes to Danzig Connection. In boxing, Mike Tyson became the youngest heavyweight boxing champion. In golf, Jack Nicholas won the Masters Golf Tournament, Ray Floyd won the U.S. Open, Greg Norman won the British Open, and Bob Tway won the PGA Championship. On the women's side, Jane Geddes won the U.S. Open, and Pat Bradley won the Women's LPGA Championship, the Du Maurier Classic, and the Nabisco Dinah Shore Classic, almost winning all four in the same year. In tennis, Boris Becker and Martina Navratilova won Wimbledon. Yvonne Lendl and Martina Navratilova won the U.S. Open. 
Yvonne Lendl and Chris Everett Lloyd won the French Open, and there was actually no Australian Open tennis tournament in 1986 because the tournament was moved from its normal December date to a January date. Therefore, the next tournament was played in January 1987 and not December 1986. In Soccer's World Cup, Argentina beat West Germany, helped by Maradona's infamous Hand of God goal against England in the semifinals. Just a hint here for you, uh, he cheated. It was actually a handball that he didn't get called for. Thank blind refs at that point. In the 1986-87 European League Championships, Liverpool won England's Football League First Division Championship. It was not called the Premier League at that time. Real Madrid won in Spain. Paris Saint-Germain won in France. Juventus won in Italy. Bayern Munich won in Germany. In auto racing, Elaine Prost won the Formula One championship, Bobby Rahal won the IndyCar championship, and Dale Earnhardt Sr. won NASCAR's Winston Cup Series. The Associated Press Male and Female Athletes of the Year were basketball player Larry Bird and tennis superstar Martina Navratilova. Other athletes who had major accomplishments that year included Chicago Bulls star Michael Jordan, who put up 63 points in a playoff game against the Boston Celtics, Boston Red Sox pitcher Roger Clemens, who struck out 20 pitchers in a game, and two-sports sensation Bo Jackson and figure skater Debbie Thomas, who became the first African-American to win the U.S. and World Ice Skating Championships. In movies, Top Gun was the biggest movie of the year, turning Tom Cruise into a superstar. It was also the year of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Platoon, which actually came out late in 1986 but got popular in 1987, Crocodile Dundee, Cobra, Back to School, The Karate Kid Part Two, The Color Purple, Rocky IV, Iron Eagle, Three Amigos, the Great Mouse Detective, Nine and a Half Weeks, Highlander, The Golden Child, and Aliens. It was also the year a little anime studio that George Lucas started and Steve Jobs bought called Pixar opened up. At the Academy Awards, Platoon won Best Picture and Oliver Stone for Best Director. Paul Newman won Best Actor for The Color of Money. Marley Matlin won Best Actress for Children of a Lesser God. Michael Caine and Diane Weist won Best Supporting Actor and Actress for Hannah and Her Sisters. Berlin's song Take My Breath Away from Top Gun won Best Original Song, and Round Midnight won Best Original Score. On television, Oprah's local TV show went national and became a sensation. The Disney Channel premiered, as did L.A. Law, Designing Women, and Double Dare. Ending that year were The Fall Guy, Different Strokes, T.J. Hooker, The Love Boat, Knight Rider, Punky Brewster, The Paper Chase, Riptide, Press Your Luck, and Trapper John M.D. The most popular TV shows for 1986 were The Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, Murder, She Wrote, The Golden Girls, 60 Minutes, Night Court, Growing Pains, Moonlighting, and Who's the Boss? At the Primetime Emmy Awards for that year, the Golden Girls won Best Comedy and Cagney and Lacey 
won Best Drama. In music, The Phantom of the Opera musical premiered in London, England. It hit Broadway in 1988. The Monkees went on a reunion tour. Bob Geldof was given knighthood by the Queen for his efforts to end hunger in Africa. Queen themselves played their final concert with Freddie Mercury. The Smiths called it quits just as they were beginning to hit the mainstream, as did Wham!, Black Flag, ELO, Men at Work, and Prince and the Revolution. Who got together in 1986? No Doubt, Green Day, Cypress Hill, and N.W.A. Music magazine Q launched in 1986. Hip-hop began creeping into the mainstream with hit albums like Run DMC's Raising Hell and the Beastie Boys' License to Ill. Alternative music, also known as college radio back in the day, began to burst out onto mainstream radio stations with artists like R.E.M. getting modestly popular before becoming superstars in the early 1990s. According to the Billboard magazine, That's What Friends Are For by Dionne Warwick and Friends was the biggest single of the year. The others were Say You, Say Me by Lionel Richie, I Miss You by Climax, On My Own by Patti LaBelle and Michael McDonald, Mr. Mister's Broken Wings, Whitney Houston's How Will I Know, Party All the Time by Eddie Murphy, Survivor's Burning Heart, Mr. Mister's Kyrie, and Robert Palmer's classic Addicted to Love. Whitney Houston's debut self-titled album was the biggest selling album of the year. It was also the year of Hart's self-titled album, ZZ Top's Afterburner, Dire Straits' album Brothers in Arms, Janet Jackson's Control, Mr. Mister's album Welcome to the Real World, Charday's Promise, Phil Collins's No Jacket Required, and Gloria Stefan and the Miami Sound Machine with Primitive Love. It was also the year of the Top Gun soundtrack, with big hits by Kenny Loggins and Berlin, Madonna's True Blue album, the return of Van Halen with Sammy Hagar as the new frontman, Bon Jovi's Slippery When Wet, which helped to usher in the hairband era into the mainstream at least, and Steve Winwood had his comeback album that year with Back in the High Life. Lady Gaga, Drake, Ellie Goulding, Solange, Kelly Pickler, Skylar Gray, Charlotte Church, Alex Turner of Arctic Monkeys, Ollie Sykes of Bring Me the Horizon, Mario, bassist Tal Wilkenfeld, Kevin Parker, a.k.a. Tame Impala, David Jones of McFly, singers, actresses, Cassie, Liam Michelle, Leighton Meester, Lindsay Lohan, Emmy Rossum, and Stacey Orico, and rapper Kevin Gates, all were born in 1986. Musical artists who passed away in 1986 included Cliff Burton of Metallica, who was killed when Metallica's tour bus was involved in an accident, Phil Lynott of Thin Lizzy, Richard Manuel of The Band, entertainers Desi Arnaz, Kate Smith, Dean Reed, Gordon McRae, and Scatman Crothers, Manager Albert Grossman, disc jockeys John R. and William B. Williams, guitarist Robbie Basho, record exec Moses Ash of Ash Records, jazz trumpet player Thad Jones, singer Esquerita, saxophonist Eddie Lockjaw Davis, 
Tracy Pugh of the Saints. Singer and blues guitarist Bea Booz. Singer Lee Dorsey. Billy Rancher of Billy Rancher and the Unreal Gods. Hollywood Fats of Canned Heat. Tommy Kiefer of Crocus. Joe Farrell of Return to Forever. Harpist Dorothy Ashby. Jazz saxophonist Hank Mobley. Guitarist Clarence Garlow. Folk singer Kate Wolf. The King of Swing himself, band leader Benny Goodman. Blues harmonica player Sonny Terry. O'Kelly Isley Jr. of the Isley Brothers. Country guitarist Joe Mafis. Bobby Nunn of the Coasters. And also singers Mark Dinning and Lee Dorsey. At the Grammy Awards for Music for 1986, Graceland from Paul Simon won Album of the Year. That's What Friends Are For from Dionne Warwick, Sir Elton John, Gladys Knight, and Stevie Wonder won Song of the Year. Steve Winwood won Record of the Year for Higher Love with Shaka Khan. And Bruce Hornsby and the Range won Best New Artist. At the Eurovision Singing Contest that was held in Norway, Belgium won the Eurovision Singing Contest. And at the Tony Awards, The Mystery of Edmund Drood won Best Musical and Sweet Charity won Best Revival. 1986 was the inaugural class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, even though a physical museum wouldn't be opened until 1995 in Cleveland, Ohio. Talent scout and record producer John Henry Hammond II, father of famed blues musician John P. Hammond, was the first person inducted into the non-performer's lifetime category. Radio disc jockey Alan Freed, who held the first rock and roll concert and coined the phrase rock and roll, in the mainstream at least, and Sun Records owner Sam Phillips were inducted into the non-performer's category. 1986 saw 10 members inducted into the performers category for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They were Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Sam Cooke, Fats Domino, the Everly Brothers, Buddy Holly, Jerry Lee Lewis, James Brown, Elvis Presley, and Ray Charles. They also inducted three members into the early influencers category. Jimmy Rogers, Jimmy Yancey, and this next artist. Robert Johnson is one of those artists who it's really tough to tell fact from fiction. That's because not a whole lot of his life was actually documented. In death, he has obtained legendary, almost mythical status. Here's what's known about him. He was born on May 8, 1911 in Mississippi. In 1929, he was married, but his wife soon died thereafter after giving birth to their child. It was at this point that Robert decided to become a blues guitarist. He fathered a child with another woman and married yet another one who again died while in childbirth. From 1932 to 1938, Robert helped to develop and refine the Delta Blues by playing every juke joint from Memphis all the way down to Mississippi. 
Robert was also quite the ladies' man, with literally a woman in every city, with none of them knowing about the other ones. Remember, kids, no internet or social media at that time to put anyone on blast, so Robert was, well, Robert. For all of his playing, Robert only released a few records. On November 23rd through the 25th in 1936 in San Antonio, Texas, Robert recorded what would become the recordings that he would be known for. Supposedly, Robert was so shy that he faced the wall while recording them. One of those recordings was Crossroad Blues, which Eric Clapton would do a couple of versions of with his various groups, including Cream. It was also the song that would become pivotal to his legend after his death in 1938. Of the many legends and myths about Robert, probably the most famous one concerns his deal with the devil at the local crossroads. He sings about it in Crossroads Blues. There's even a statue where the event supposedly took place. Robert's friends and relatives have said that he made the deal with the devil by playing secular blues music instead of gospel, and that his wives dying while in childbirth was actually punishment for doing so. There was talk by locals that Robert got his gift by going to graveyards at night and becoming infused with the talent of the dead. Even his death is shrouded in mystery, as he died from unknown causes in 1938 with no autopsy and no public announcement. Some people say that he was poisoned by a jealous husband or boyfriend of one of his many conquests. Still others say that the devil came to collect on his deal. In any event, Robert lived quite the life. Presented for induction by singer Robert Palmer. Robert Johnson, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as an early influencer, class of 1986. Before we look at the case for inducting someone into the hall in the upcoming class, let us look at how people get into the hall to begin with. The criteria for being inducted into the hall was originally that, quote, artists have to have released their first record 25 years earlier and have created music whose originality, impact, and influence has changed the course of rock and roll, end quote. That interpretation has been updated in recent decades to include music that rock and roll influence, like reggae, country, and hip-hop, and also the youth culture that music has influenced, and also vice versa. And that, kids, is why hip-hop artists have been inducted into the hall. The different categories that people can be inducted for are for musical excellence, which is for artists, musicians, songwriters, and producers who have had a dramatic impact on the music, Early influencers, artists whose music influence rock music and youth culture, like, say, the jazz or blues. The Amit Erdogan Award, which is named for the famed record executive Amit Erdogan and goes to a non-performer who has had an impact on music, like record executives and managers. There's also now a category that inducts songs that have influenced music, like the Trogs' song Wild Thing. Of course, the most popular category is the performers category, which has everyone from Elvis Presley to Tina Turner. 
the different nominating committees decide who will make the official ballots for that year. Then ballots are sent to a thousand musicologists, executives, performers, and other artists and experts. The fans also get a chance to vote, with that vote usually being held on the hall's website. Then from that, the final inductees are chosen. Now, with all that being said, let's look at the making the case for putting an artist into one of the upcoming classes for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This week, we're going to look at the case for putting Motorhead into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In the 1970s, England had a lot of economic struggles. The country had high unemployment, especially with the youth. There was a lot of social unrest as well, with riots and strikes, and the new heavy metal movement came from all of this strife. Groups like Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, and the like. Motorhead also came from that era and those times. Led by Lemmy, the group were ranked at number 26 on VH1's Greatest Artists of Hard Rock list. They influenced trash metal, punk rock, and speed metal. They released 22 studio albums, 10 live albums, including their classic one, No Sleep Till Hammersmith, 12 compilation albums, and 5 EPs. They were nominated for four Grammy Awards, actually winning one of them. Their must-have albums to put into your collection include Bomber, Overkill, No Sleep Till Hammersmith, and probably their most famous album, Ace of Spades. Personally, I feel that the Hall was wrong to overlook them this year. But here is hoping that they do the right thing, finally put more heavy metal artists into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and specifically... Put Motorhead into the hall next year. This week's museum is the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. The museum is located on the National Mall right across the street from the Washington Monument. The museum highlights the experience and contributions to specifically America and more broadly the world, made by African Americans. A lot of the museum deals with slavery and civil rights. There's a slave cabin, an airplane that was flown by a member of the Tuskegee Airmen, as well as items pertaining to the military, religion, literature, and politics. Entertainment also rules the museum with exhibits from the movies and TV. And as you would expect, the museum also has an extensive collection of artifacts concerning music. The museum boasts Chuck Berry's Pink Cadillac, for instance, also stage costumes worn by Parliament Funkadelic, among others, along with other recordings, sheet music, photos, and such. And there's also a great online resource on their website where they've put a lot of their collection online to look at. The museum is open daily from 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. Admission is free. After all, your tax dollars paid for it. However, 
the only way that you can walk into the museum without a pass is if you show your military ID. Otherwise, you either have to try and get timed passes in the morning if you want to go, which runs out very quickly, by the way, or you can get passes in advance online. Check the museum's website, nmaahc.si.edu, for the timed passes along with COVID admission information since the COVID regulations seem to change on a whim. And I will also give you a little heads up. If you become a member of the museum, you get access to a lot more timed passes than the general public. Just a little hint for some of you people out there. Now, on display until September 25th of this year is the extensive photography collection of hip-hop historian and former Def Jam Records publicist Bill Adler. Bill amassed what could only be described as the largest and most important photo collection of hip-hop artists and culture of the 20th century. It has over 400 photographs covering hip-hop from the early 1980s into the early part of the 21st century. This viewing comes on the heels of the museum's nine-CD and coffee table book box set on the history of hip-hop, along with photos and music from artists such as LL Cool J. The collection includes photos from this next group. The original nicknames to this group were DJ Run, Don of Curtis Blow, Easy D, and Jazzy Jace. In the early 1980s, there were three kids who grew up in Hollis, Queens. Joseph Simmons had an older brother named Russell, who was a hip-hop promoter and had started a record label with his college roommate, Rick Rubin, called Def Jam Records. Russell, at the time, promoted rapper Curtis Blow and needed someone to be Curtis's DJ. Joseph was recruited to be that DJ, but soon Joseph wanted to rap. Russell let Joseph record one song, which went absolutely nowhere. In the meantime, though, Joseph had a friend named Daryl McDaniel. The two of them wanted to rap as a duo. At first, Russell said no because he didn't like Daryl's rap style, but he finally said yes. They also needed a DJ, so they got their friend Jason Mizell. Russell then changed all their nicknames. Joseph DJ Run, son of Curtis Blow, became Run. Daryl Easy D became DMC. And Jason Jazzy Jace became Jam Master J. And the group themselves became known as Run DMC. For the record, they actually hated the name Run DMC, but after a while it kind of grew on them. Run DMC signed to Profile Records and released their first single, It's Like That. The song hit number 15 on the Billboard R&B charts. After that success, they released their first album, Run DMC, in 1984. That album also had hits like Hard Times. It also had the transcending song, Rock Box, with a mixture of hip-hop and hard rock, complete with the blistering guitar of session musician Eddie Paul Martinez. Uh, 
The song was one of the first to combine what were at least at that point two completely separate worlds, black inner-city hip-hop and white heavy metal. Both were considered dangerous in the eyes of the mainstream, which made them a perfect combination for kids like myself, to be honest with you. 1985 was a big year for the group from a career perspective. First, they released their next album, King of Rock, which further solidified their sounds with the song King of Rock and Can You Rock It Like This. They were then the only hip-hop act to perform at Live Aid. They followed that up with a performance and appearance in the hit movie Crush Groove. 1986 saw their biggest success with one of the most important albums from the 1980s and actually the latter part of the 20th century, Raising Hell. The album was produced by Rick Rubin, who had a major role in one of the most important songs of all time. The album was almost done when they decided to do one more song to pique interest from their fans who liked the hard rock songs of King of Rock and Rockbox. After some discussion, they fell upon the idea of doing Walk This Way by Aerosmith. Originally, they were going to sample the song, but Rick and Jam Master Jay actually wanted to redo the song completely from scratch. They put out the call to Aerosmith to gauge interest. At first, there wasn't any. What has to be remembered is that in 1985, no one liked Aerosmith. Known as the Toxic Twins at that point, Aerosmith, Steven Tyler, and Joe Perry were looked at as part of a group whose heyday was in the 1970s and had a lot of drugs, alcohol, and other internal band issues. They were, at that point, pretty much done as a band. Even with their careers in freefall, Stephen and Joe actually didn't want to do the song because they hated hip-hop. To them, and a lot of other artists, to be honest with you, at that point, hip-hop was taking all of their songs, using them without paying the artists, and making money off of them. The Toxic Twins had absolutely no part in it and wanted no part in the entire thing. However... Rick convinced them to come to the studio to work things out. And once they saw how Jam Master Jay could cut the record precisely where he wanted the beat to be at will on the turntables, the boys were fascinated and wanted in on the collaboration. The music video also became iconic. The video unfolds with both acts on opposite sides of a wall. Then, once Run DMC starts rapping loud to the beat, Steven breaks through the wall with a mic stand. Then, everybody ends up on a concert stage together as a show of solidarity and breaking down the barriers between both the rock and hip-hop cultures, much like the way it usually works out in life. Rumor has it, though, that Stephen couldn't actually break down the wall at first, but they left that part in the final cut. The song, the album, and the music video all became huge hits, along with becoming icons of 1980s music. It also gave Aerosmith their career back as the band got back together and started putting out hit songs like Love in an Elevator, Dude Looks Like a Lady, Angel, Jaded, among a ton of others. 
After the success of Raising Hell, Run DMC put out Tougher Than Leather and Down With The King, but by then, the sound that the group had pioneered had already changed, and so did they. Run became a minister, while Jay became a producer, producing the group Onyx, who had the big hit song Slam. The three guys started to not get along, and they started to go in different directions musically. In 2002, Jay was shot and killed in his studio in Queens, New York. His murder was finally solved almost 20 years later. Run DMC was one of the most influential hip-hop groups of all time. They influenced later rock rap acts like Korn, Kid Rock, Limp Bizkit, The Prodigy, and others. They were the first hip-hop act on American Bandstand, the first hip-hop act to earn a gold album with Run DMC, a platinum album with King of Rock, and the multi-platinum album with Raising Hell. They were also the first hip-hop group to get played on MTV. They were the first hip-hop act to be nominated for a Grammy Award. And their photos, along with other artists from the 1980s hip-hop music scene in New York, are on display until September 25th at the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. And that is it for the Music Halls of Fame podcast, episode 31. Thanks for listening. Audio engineering and editing, video editing, writing, narration, basically everything having to do with this podcast is done by yours truly. You can find us on our website at cjbtproductions.com. Our podcast is on all of your favorite podcast providers, such as Apple Music, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Spotify, etc., all under Music History Today. If you would like to support this podcast, our Patreon can be found at patreon.com backslash Music History Today. We are also on Twitter at Music History Day. And you can now find us on YouTube. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell anytime you want to know exactly what videos are dropped and when. All of those links can be found in the show notes below. Thank you very, very much for listening.